Good morning. We want to welcome you to Genesis Church. You can go ahead and have a seat. Uh, my name is Paul Mumo. I'm the lead pastor here, and we're, we're glad that you're here with us. Uh, we believe that there is one great message to communicate. It is the love of God, the love of Jesus Christ, and that's what has brought us together as a community. And uh, we're just glad that you're here, whether it's your first time or, or you've been here many times before. When you came in today, you received a worship program that just talks a little bit about some of the things that are happening in our church. We'd love for you to take some time to check this out. Uh, we also have, we talk about it every week, just what we call our, our, our connection card. And uh, if you could just tell us a little bit more about yourself, we'd like to get to know you a little bit better. If you want to take it to the info hub this morning, uh, we've got a gift just to say thanks for being here that we'd like to send you with. And, and our info hub team would be happy to help you with any questions uh, that you might have uh, about Genesis Church or the price of crude oil. You know, I mean, whatever we can do, we'll do our best. So, uh, but, but again, also, there's just one other thing I wanted to point out, and that is that uh, next Sunday, we're going to be doing our food drive again. We're supporting uh, Bethel Lutheran Church and their food pantry. Uh, there's a list of various items that they're always in need of. There is a great need, even right here in Hamilton County, and uh, no one should go without food. That, that should not be acceptable at all whatsoever. And so, uh, if you'd like to participate in that, bring your goods next week. We've got shopping carts at our entrances. You can leave that food there, and we've got teams of people that will help deliver that food uh, to the right place. Uh, last week was a great service, a great weekend, our, our Easter celebration. We baptized uh, four people last weekend, and we decided that, yeah, which is worth clapping for. We clap for the offering here, so we might as well clap for, uh, for baptisms. But uh, it was real exciting as four people were baptized, but we left the baptismal up because we believe that there were going to be a couple others. And we're baptizing one in this service and then one in the second service. And with that, I'll turn it over to Steve Wallen. Yeah, thanks, Paul. Hi, everybody. I was real excited that, um, that Paul felt like God was calling him to leave this in place because I felt like there were still people here who maybe wanted to get baptized but didn't know it, didn't make the plan, or wanted to see something happen. And, and this is one of those people, and this is Andy Cotton. Can you say hi to Andy? Hi. Andy's, Andy's a sophomore at Noblesville High School, and, and Andy's been coming to our youth group. I've known Andy for a couple of years now, but she's been kind of coming off and on. And why, why don't you tell us a little bit about your journey with God? Um, I met God through all these people right here in this front row, and it means a lot to me because they're always here for me. And like through my struggles, from when I was really young, like my parents, none of them believed. And I felt like I had to be the one to be strong for my little siblings because they look up to me. And they'd ask me and ask me about when I'm gonna get baptized and when they think that I should. And I think that I'm really happy that I'm doing it now. I'm really happy I chose. Yeah, and, and something happened on Good Friday um, when you were sitting right there in that front row, didn't it? You wanna talk a little bit about that? You, you've been having some struggles in your life. Um, yeah. When I was really young, I gave my mother a Bible for Christmas, and she never even opened the present. She knew what it was, but she never opened it. And I feel kind of guilty that Jesus died for my sins because I feel like he shouldn't have done that because he's a really wonderful person, and he sh I don't think he should have died for my sins. And on, on Good Friday when you heard that message, um, it moved you so much that you wanted to ask Jesus to come and be your Lord and Savior, didn't you? That was awesome to, do, to see that happen right here in this front row. And, and I'm just so excited for you, Andy. I'm excited to see the growth that you've had and the growth that I know that God's going to give you through, the, through that process and, and this. So um, with that, I, wanna, I want you to repeat something after me, okay? Okay. I believe that Jesus is the Christ. I believe that Jesus is the Christ. The Son of the living God. The Son of the living God. My Lord and Savior. My Lord and Savior. Okay, and with that, Andy, I'm just going to ask you to cover up your, cover up your mouth because I'm going to dunk you good, okay? <laughs> 
Since you've made that profession of faith, Andy, it's my pleasure to baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. How awesome it was to celebrate a baptism this morning, and uh, we believe that baptism is a symbol of a decision that a person's made in their life to follow Jesus. And as Jesus was baptized, he's commanded us to do the same, and um, I think we're going to leave the uh, baptismal up one more week, because I think maybe there are some of you that still need to make that decision, and you know that you need to do it, and uh, so I want, you to, I want you to think about it, and, and we'd be happy to talk with you afterwards. Uh, we, have a, we have a team of people now, which I'm very excited about, uh, a response team that's going to be available at the end of every service. Uh, to talk with you about making a decision for Christ, about being baptized, or, or maybe just to pray with you. Uh, men and women that will be up here after each service beginning today. And, uh, and so we want to invite you to do that. And, and you can come to talk with them this morning if you'd like to talk a little bit more about baptism. It's a, it's a great decision. Um, well, after spending some time looking at the I Am statements made by Jesus, this morning we're, we're going to shift our focus a little bit to a subject uh, that that affects a number of people. It's relevant to so many people. And over the next five weeks, we're going to be talking about marriage. And we're calling this series Love Affair because marriage is designed, was designed by God to be this lifelong covenant between a man and a woman, a forever love affair. And I'll tell you right from the beginning that I'm very excited about this series, but I'm pretty nervous about it all at the same time. Uh, first of all, because just in preparing for this week, uh, this message and some of this preparation has really just been kind of messing with me. And it's been a really difficult message to prepare. And last night I was sitting down looking at it and I knew I needed to go through it one more time. And I just finally told my wife I'm going to bed. And so this morning, thanks to a convenience store, a cup of coffee and uh, getting up a little early, I, I kind of hope I'm at the place and, and just really counting on God just kind of working through me and working in us and speaking to us through his word and even through this message. Um, but, but here's what also makes me a little nervous. First of all, I know that we're not going to hit everything. I've come to term with the fact that we're not going to be able to address every little, you know, dimension of marriage, of healthy or crumbling marriages over the next five weeks. And so let, let's just say that up front. We're going to get to the end of this and there's still going to be some incompleteness to it all. Secondly, I know that talking about a healthy marriage is going to be a very difficult conversation for some people uh, because you're, you're right in the middle of it right now. I mean, maybe you're going through a tough time. You know, you want to make things better, but she doesn't. She's not into it. Or, or there's been an affair in your marriage in, in the past, but, but you're sort of working through it. Or, and maybe just even addressing the issue is kind of like picking at the scab a little bit. And every time we talk about marriage, you get a little nervous Things get a little uh, kind of tense in your home because you know that there's maybe an issue that needs to be dealt with. There's kind of an elephant in the room that needs to be addressed, but, but no one how, knows how to, to take the first step. And maybe you're currently in counseling and you're already working through a plan and, and you or you and your spouse are, are talking about specific steps that need to be taken. And I don't want you to lose sight with whatever your counselor is directing you to do. But this is a real issue. You know, marriages and marriages in this church and healthy marriages and thriving marriages and broken marriages, it's a real issue, it's a relevant issue, and we have to address it. We, we've got to go right to the heart of the matter, we've got to go to the center of it all, and we need to talk about it. You know, some of you are divorced, or some of you are maybe even remarried, and, and some of the discussion over the next few weeks might sting a little bit. Or, or maybe you're single, you know, and you're wondering, what in the world does this have to do with me? Or should I just sort of check out over the next, you know, five weeks? Well, I, I want to invite you not to do that. 
I want to invite you to allow maybe this series and uh, and God's work and God's teaching in this series to make you a a better person or to prepare you for a future marriage that, that maybe is one day to come. And so I'm excited about this series for a number of reasons, but I'm nervous about it too. But let me tell you why I'm excited. I think your marriage can be great. I believe that your marriage can be healthy. I believe that your marriage can thrive. I believe that if Christ is at the center, you can have that marriage that, that maybe you always dreamed about. You know, and if it, was, if it wasn't good, it, it can get better. Or if it hasn't been good, it can get better. There, there is a way to healthy, thriving, a, a Christ-centered marriage. And the Bible has a lot to say about marriage and God's design for marriage. Uh, let me just look at a few scripture with you as you begin. And, and you can follow along on the screens because I'm going to go kind of fast. Genesis chapter 2, verse 18. It said, The Lord God said, it is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. And so God was involved at the very, very beginning of creation and not only creating man, but as we're going to see, creating woman as well and bringing them together. Verse 21, so the Lord God caused the man to fall in a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and closed up the place with flesh. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man and he brought her to the man. And the man said, this is now bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. And then look what God said. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. No longer two lives, but one life coming together, centered in Christ, this perfect union ordained by God, a marriage between one man and one woman as God intended for it to be all in the image of God, no longer two, but one. And then Jesus, he, he capitalized on this in, in the book of Matthew, Matthew chapter 19, verses 5 and 6. He says, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and, and, the, and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two again, but they are one. Therefore, what God has joined together, let man not separate. So two becoming one, this, this forever love affair, never ending. Ephesians chapter 5, verses 24 and 25, and then jumping over to verse 33, it says, now as the church... Paul teaches, submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Verse 28, in this same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. And then in verse 33, it finishes by saying, however, each one of you, meaning husbands, must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. Everyone got it? Well, we'll just pray and we'll just wrap it up and we'll do a new series next week. We all got it right? Okay, no. So two becoming one. You know, this inseparable union held together by God, this forever love affair. And and so many couples, you know, stand at their wedding altar each Saturday believing that there's nothing to worry. It'll all work out. Nothing to fear. Love will always last. But then things change. And life happens. And so let's take a look at an all-too-familiar example of what can happen in a marriage today. you're about to take are to be taken with careful thought and prayer 
for in them you are committing yourselves exclusively one to the other. Wow, you look great in blue. But then again, you look great in any color. Really? You're so sweet. Why are all the good ones married? Don't worry. You'll find someone to love and to cherish till death do us part. Now repeat after me. Hello? Hey, Mike. No, no, he's still at work. Yeah, I know it's late. He has to entertain the clients. Yeah. It gets lonely sometimes. Thanks. Well, I'll call you if I need anything, okay? I promise. I promise. To love and to cherish you. Till death do us part. What tokens do you have symbolizing these vows? May this ring be a symbol of your pure and unending love for one another. Some of us are going to dinner. You want to come? Yeah. Yeah, that sounds great. Okay, let's go. As a symbol of my love, and with it pledge my loyalty and devotion. symbol of my love, and with it, pledge my loyalty and devotion as long as we both shall live. The outside candles represent your lives up to this moment. <laughs> we'll be letting the center candle represent the union of your lives into one flesh. By the power vested in me, I now pronounce you husband and wife. What God has brought together, let no man separate. So what happened? You know, why don't things work out as maybe we hoped or intended that they would when we're standing at the altar? Well, to begin this morning, I'd like to try and learn a few things from the couple in this video. Now, obviously, this is a very extreme situation and maybe even a little over the top, but maybe not as extreme as we'd like to think. I'd like for this couple to serve as a case study for us this morning. You know, first of all, we don't know any of the details of their life. We don't know their background. We don't know their dating history or whether or not they lived together prior to, be mar prior to being married. But we don't know anything about their faith except that they chose to marry in a church. All we know is that they were married that they drifted apart, and that they fell into an affair. And so let's just make, if we can, if you'll give me permission to, let's make some assumptions about this particular marriage. Because I think that what we'll find is that there is a common and sometimes even predictable threads in a marriage, especially a marriage that is on the slide. And so let's make a few assumptions about this situation uh, and, and move on from there. The first thing is this, that they convinced themselves, this couple, that it could never happen to their marriage. And that's the worst decision that any couple can make. 
to say that it will never happen to us. You know, that we're safe, that we're above this, that we will always live happily ever after. It won't happen. Well, what's the it? Well, in this case, in this particular case study, it's the affair or the marital unfaithfulness. It's the marital drift that, that happened. You know, the husband denies that it could ever happen. The wife does the same. And by denying that it could happen, the couple kind of threw their marriage into autopilot without even realizing it. But then everything changed one day. The pregnancy test came back positive. Ready or not, here comes Junior. 18 months later, there's another baby on the way. What do you know? Two young children in the home screaming and whining about all the things that they need all the time. Husband and wife are both trying to get to work and get the kids off to daycare. And let's suppose she stays home. You know, the next thing, you know, she moves on from being this beauty, from being the, the, the princess in the house to this full-time mom who's shuttling kids between t-ball and preschool and dance lessons. The long Laundry needs to be done. The dinner needs to be made. Dad's trying to make a living. He's pursuing his career ambitions. And husbands and wives are always running in two different directions. And all of a sudden, without notice, there's this marital drift that begins to take place and no one sees it coming. I mean, the honeymoon is definitely over at this point. You know, husband and wife don't make time to talk. Intimacy has gone out the window. She's too tired at night. He doesn't share his feelings at all. Needs aren't being met. He has needs. She has needs. And they must be met. And because they're not being met, husband and wife start looking to different things and to different people to meet those needs. And before you know it, this couple who thought it could never happen to them has drifted apart. What else can we assume? Second, that the both developed inappropriate relationships with people of the opposite sex. You know, for her, maybe it was the guy in the neighborhood or the guy in her spinning class. He just was always there at just the right time. And for him, it was the girl at the front desk. You know, so fun to be around. And as time passed, the relationships grew and it became easy for the wife to think, you know, thoughts about the guy. What would it be like to have lunch together? You know, what it would be like to go for a cup of coffee what would it be like to take a walk together? And for the husband, you know, it's, she always looks so good. You know, she never gets upset. She's always complimenting me uh, on my appearance, you know, and the way that she wears her clothes. You know, does she realize how low cut that shirt is? And his imagination runs wild. You know, what would it be like to get dinner together? What, what would it be like to hook up together one night? I mean, what started out as innocent friendships turned into this deadly slide. What else? You know, they started comparing their spouse to another person. And this is huge. I mean, this is big here. I mean, the wife started comparing the other guy to her absent husband. And the husband started comparing, you know, the girl at the front desk, you know, with his wife. I mean, how is it that he always listens to me and that he's always complimenting me and taking such an interest in my needs, she thought. And for him, maybe it was she never gets upset. She doesn't nag me. You know, she always looks good. I bet she wakes up in the morning with her makeup already on and her hair already done perfectly, you know. And then finally, they took the final step. You know, their relationship became physical. You know, when did the affair begin? Well, the truth is that the affair started long before the hookup, the sex. But the unthinkable finally happened, and he met her at a hotel. She invited him over when she knew he was out of town. And they had sex. They started doing physically what they had been doing mentally and emotionally for a long time. They had drifted so far apart, they never believed that it could happen in their marriage, and it did. Now, if I had to take a guess, and of course this is just fictional with some very mediocre acting, <laughs> I would guess that this marriage would have no chance of surviving. You know, it's a pretty brutal way to begin a marriage. I mean, it's pretty serious. 
but anything's possible. And I mean, it may seem like a very extreme example, but the truth is that it's probably more common than we realize. But here's the point. The fact is that today, our marriages are at an incredible risk, maybe even more than ever before. And there's this all-out war being waged on, America, uh, on marriages in America today, especially on couples in the church today, and Satan is responsible. In John chapter 8, verse 44, Jesus was speaking to the Pharisees, and he was comparing them to Satan. He said, you belong to your father, the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desire. But listen to what Jesus says about Satan. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Jesus is saying that Satan is a murderer. He is a liar, he is a deceiver, and there is no truth in him whatsoever. And he has convinced many couples today that everything will be just fine and dandy if you put the marriage on autopilot and expect it to survive. You know, so go ahead and, and throw it on autopilot. It will never happen to you. And then it does. And it's happening more often than we would like to admit today. How do we know? We'll just consider some of these reports. I, I, I was reading through some of them just this past week. Five in ten marriages today will end in divorce. And there is no difference in that average inside or outside of the church. Half of all marriages today are coming to divorce. 80% of all marriages today will deal with some sort of an affair, some sort of marital unfaithfulness. I mean, you may know people who have gone through or are currently going through these types of difficulties. And Satan is at the center of every bit of it. He is a murderer. He is a liar. He speaks lies. It is his native language. Now, does this mean that we aren't responsible in the matter? Well, absolutely not. I mean, we are responsible for our actions and we are responsible for our marriages, but I don't want us to lose sight of the fact that Satan is working powerfully in this world. I mean, we, we, we too quickly sometimes acknowledge that there is a God and that maybe he even sent his son Jesus Christ into the world and we forget to acknowledge that Satan is real, that God has allowed him to exist for a certain time and he is there and he is working and he is deceiving and he is driving a wedge between our marriages today. And if he hasn't attacked your marriage yet, there will most likely come some point where he will. Genesis chapter 3 verse 1 says, now the serpent, Satan, was more crafty than any of the wild animals that the Lord God had made. That word crafty almost makes me tingle a little bit, makes me a little nervous. That Satan, he knows our weaknesses. He knows when we are most vulnerable. He, he knows what temptations get us, and they're not coincidental when they come up. He is powerful. You know, he, as a believer, he, he as a deceiver, he loves division. And as a result of many of the weak and crumbling marriages today, you know, our processes on marriage are shifting. You know, the, this report that I was reading, it was summarized like this. Here's what it said, how people are growing more and more comfortable with divorce is just a natural part of life. They're no longer, this report says, seems to be much of a stigma attached to divorce. It is now unavoidable rite of passage. Interviews with young adults suggest that they want their initial marriage to last but are not particularly optimistic about that possibility. There is also evidence that many young people are moving toward embracing the idea of serial marriage in which a person gets married two or three times seeking a different partner for each phase of their adult life. All this in contrast to two becoming one, leaving father and mother and cleaving together what God has joined together, let no one separate. You know, a husband should love his wife as Christ loves the church. A wife should respect her husband and then happily ever after. What happened? I mean, what's happening today? 
I am convinced that one of Satan's greatest tactics against the church today is that he has waged an all-out war on marriages between followers of Jesus Christ. And the people of this church, you and me, were no exception. I think he's heavily involved in the marriages in our church right now, doing everything that he can to rip those marriages apart. He's attacking husbands and wives. He's creating this marital drift as we get focused on other things, as we make other things in our life a priority over our relationship with our husbands and our wives. He's crafty. His methods are predictable, but not always so obvious. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8 says, Your enemy, the devil, he prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to, to devour. So maybe for you, maybe in your home it begins with a financial crisis. Or, or maybe it begins with a sick child or, or an inappropriate website or a hotel movie or a young, attractive coworker. But Satan has waged this great war against marriages today. And the sad reality is that I think he's winning the battle. The sad reality is I believe he's got an edge in the battle on our marriages today. Five in ten couples divorcing, 80% of marriages dealing with the reality of unfaithful unfaithful, marital unfaithfulness. And think about the effect that divorce has on a person or a child. I mean, it's so unfortunate. I mean, something given to us by God that is so quickly torn apart. And so why in the world do this series? I mean, is there any hope? Why move forward? I want to say yes. And I think the first place to start is to acknowledge that it's happening, that we need to cling to God, let's declare war on Satan, and let's take our marriages back. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 9 says, Because Satan is a roaring lion, seeking people to devour, resist him, standing firm in the faith. The book of Genesis says, Resist the devil and submit to God, and he will flee from you. And so I believe... And I don't just mean this half-heartedly. I am fully convinced that through faith in God, we can take our marriages back. I believe that through the power and the strength and the grace and the forgiveness of God, that, that we can reverse the trend. You know, that couples whose marriage is centered on Christ can withstand the pressure. And that if you're in a bad marriage right now, that your marriage can get better by God. That if you're in a weak marriage right now, that your marriage can get stronger by God. If you're in a broken marriage right now and you're about ready to call it quits, I believe that God can put the pieces back together even in the final hour through his grace, through his power, and through his strength, and your marriage can be whole again. And so the point of this series isn't how to affair-proof your marriage. Instead, it's an invitation to re-enter a love affair with your spouse. And so here's what I want to do. I want to talk to you. I want to encourage you and invite you, no matter where you are in your marriage right now, to stand up and fight for it. I want you to take it back. I want you to tell Satan to to get out of the way and to get out of the picture. Husbands, I want you to pursue your wives and go after them like you ever have before. Love them as Christ loved the church. You know, he died for the church. He was willing to give his entire life and sacrifice it for the church. Wives, you go fight for your husbands. You know, try and understand their perspective and their story and where they're coming from in their life. And for some of you, it's not going to be an easy journey. 
I mean, the, the problems that you're facing right now have taken years to build up, and it may take years to reverse them and to heal these wounds. It may be the hardest and most frustrating thing that you ever do, but try to get your marriage back, even if it ends up failing in the end. And it may take a long time. It may even take years, but it's worth it. Your marriage can be great again. It's what God wants for you and your spouse. He could not be a greater advocate for healthy and thriving marriages today. And so here's how I want to finish up this morning. And I, we're just jumping into the thick of it right at the beginning. We're just going to go straight to the center. We're not going to hold any punches, all right? Here's how I want to finish up this morning. Let, let's go back to this case study that we're looking at. We're not going to watch it again. But let's take those assumptions we made in the beginning, you know, the ones that led the couple down the road to the affair, and let's reverse them and turn them into good. Let's learn from them and see how they can help us start down this road to a love affair with our husbands and wives. I want to pray first. Let's pray. God, you know exactly what we're talking about, and you know better than we do. And you know the state of the marriages in our church and even outside of this church right now. And I know and I believe that you know that one of Satan's greatest tactics against us right now is he's waged a war on our marriages. And God, we're, we're here this morning, and we want to acknowledge that, that we want to declare war on Satan, and we want to take our marriages back. Would you give us the comfort and the strength and the grace and the confidence of knowing even right now that you know every bit of our story, you know every detail of our marriage. You know, it's impossible for me to try and address every single situation. But God, I just pray through the power of your Holy Spirit that, that you would come over us right now and you would give us this confidence to believe that anything is possible through you and that our marriages can be made well and can be put back together again. In the name of Jesus, amen. Here's the first thing that I think we need to do. We need to convince ourselves that it can happen to you. It can happen to your marriage. And I don't care how long or how short of a time you've been married, it can happen to you. It doesn't matter who you are, where you are in life, where you serve in this church. If you're breathing, it can happen to you. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13 talks about temptation. Paul says, no temptation has seized you except what is common to man, and God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. Now, here's what he says right here. But when you are tempted, notice that it doesn't say if you are tempted, but when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can stand up under it. And so you're going to be tempted. You know, men, you're going to be tempted to cheat. Women, you're going to be tempted to cheat, and maybe not always physically. You know, sometimes it'll be mentally and even emotionally. And when you're tempted, remember that the attraction, it's not the sin. All right, that's not sin, but it's what you do with that attraction. You know, we're going to be attracted to other people. It's how God wired us, but it's what you do with that re attraction. And, and when you do things that, that become these, these evil thoughts and lust, it's sin. And when this gets out of control, we invite these problems into our marriage. It can happen to you. It can happen to anyone. Now, maybe you're at this point and you're like, wait, 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 wait a second. It's not going to happen to me. Okay, we've got all these years invested. Sure, we've had some ups and downs. It will never happen to me. It won't happen to us. Well, think about David for a second. We're going to talk about David next week. I can't imagine any one of us ever loving God as much as David loved God. He was a man after God's own heart, and it happened to David. And it can happen to you and me. Or look at it this way. You know, maybe the it for you isn't an affair with someone else. I mean, maybe it is something else, you know, that your job or your hobbies become the center of your life and they take priority over your spouse. You know, they get the best of you. 
Or, or why, f- for you, maybe it's easy for your kids to take over your life and, and to become your first priority. They become everything for you. And as a result, whether you recognize it or not, there's this marital drift that begins to take place in your marriage. And I think if you're honest with yourselves, you know it's true. And unfortunately, for some of you in your marriages right now, this drift and this separation has been there so long, you don't even know otherwise. I mean, it was the same with your parents' marriage, and so you've just kind of accepted that that's the way it is, that that's what marriage looks like. It's, it's just about surviving and getting through. And so for you, this series is all about getting the things to where they need to be. It's two becoming one, this perfect union of love and respect. It's reversing the course. It's how to have a marriage the way that God designed. And we have to recognize that if not cared for, our marriages can crumble, and it can happen to anyone. Jesus warns us to be very wise. He, Matthew 10, verse 16, you know, he says, I'm sending you out like sheep among wolves. Therefore, be as shrewd as snakes. Other translations say as wise as serpents. I mean, we have to be smart. We have to be wise. We have to be intentional. And God's word offers the right guidance for our marriage. Hey, here's where I'm coming from on all this because I'm not exempt from this either. I want to have a healthy and honest and a thriving marriage with my wife. I want the love affair. I want the love affair with my wife and I want the same for you. The second thing that I think we can learn from this case study just in getting us started in this series is work on cultivating your relationship with your spouse. Now, the word cultivate is a gardening term. It it means to get down into the soil and to work the soil to prepare it for a healthy harvest. You have to work on your marriage, and you've got to be very intentional in this. I mean, don't just put your marriage on autopilot and expect that everything's going to work out. And don't cultivate your relationship with someone else. Take some steps to have a greater relationship with your husband and wife. You know, what can you do right now? Schedule a date night. You know, maybe you've talked about it for so long. You know, take a step this morning and schedule a date night. And if that doesn't work for you and you can't afford the babysitting or whatever, then then get the kids to bed at night and just sit at the table and talk. You know, create a date right in your own home. Take a trip together. Read a book together. You know, do things together. Sign up for the love and respect event that we're going to start here at our church, uh, not this Tuesday night, but the following Tuesday night. And just come here with your spouse. You know, go for the 60,000-mile tune-up, you know, and schedule an appointment with a marriage counselor just to kind of gauge how things are going. You know, what can we do 20 years in to make sure that the next 20 years are are even greater? Cultivate your relationship with your spouse. You know, what does that look like day-to-day and how we live, fellas? That means that you don't share intimate details with other women. You know, ladies, don't get emotional with other men. You know, that's husband and wife stuff. Keep your relationships with with people, people of the opposite sex on on surface level. And if you're in a situation and you're around someone that you're attracted to, talk about your spouse a lot. Talk about your family a lot. Talk about them in positive terms. Talk about your love for them. The Bible says that we should not have even a hint of sexual immorality in our lives. And maybe you're like, well, you know what, Paul? You don't get it. Okay, you you don't know my wife, you don't know my husband, you you totally live in this imaginary world where everything's perfect, you know, your marriage isn't like anyone else's here today. I don't want to rain on your parade, but my wife and I have to work on our marriage. I mean, it doesn't come naturally. I mean, get this, you know, we fight once in a while. We actually have arguments in our house. You know, the first couple of years that we were married, we fought a lot. 
You know, it was hard. We were sarcastic with one another. I'd say dumb and selfish things. Jenny would throw things at me. Well, not really. She never threw anything. But, you know, we've argued about sex. We've argued about money. We've argued about where to eat for dinner. And now we've got these little mouths to feed in our house, and they have bath times, and there are poopy diapers to change all the times. And sometimes we slip, and we forget that we have to work on our marriage. It doesn't just happen naturally. We have to be intentional about it. And we've gone through some dry seasons, and maybe our dry seasons compare nothing to the dry seasons that you've gone through. But I want you to know that I am so thankful for my wife. I love my wife. She is God's greatest gift to me. And we have a stronger marriage today than we did 10 years ago. And we don't fight nearly as much anymore. And we do a greater job of listening to each other. And we can sense when we're drifting apart and when we need to get things back on track and we turn off the TV and we go on dates and we take trips together. And here's something else that we do that I think is so easily taken for granted and I'm convinced it's so important. And dads and fellas, I'm talking to you right now when I, when I, when I say this. Listen to me on this one. My wife and I, we parent together, all right? We, we parent together, and, and, and I'm not perfect in this, and I, I fall at times, but for us, parenting is a shared role. And guys, if you're not helping your wife by changing some diapers and giving some baths and making some chicken nuggets and putting kids to bed, you know, you need to get involved, and you need to get involved now. I mean, start today. I mean, one of the greatest ways that we cultivate our marriage right now in this stage of our life is that we parent together. We're in partnership. And Jenny and I have a healthy marriage today because we work on it. And if we don't, we're just as vulnerable to the marital drift. Now listen, I know that some of you are in a very difficult situation right now. You know, your marriage is not even close to what you dreamed of. You know, he cheated or she cheated and maybe not. You don't communicate like you used to. His needs aren't being met. Yours aren't being met either. It's only a matter of time, and you might even be days away from just calling it off. Friends, your marriage can get better. I believe that it can get back on track, that God can give you the love that you need for your spouse, that he can give you the patience, that God can give you the ability to forgive. I believe that God can change your husband's heart. I believe that God can reverse the course. And here's what you have on your side. God does not want your marriage to end. Now, sure, there are situations in the Bible that point out when a divorce is, is allowed, but I believe more than anything that God's heart and his first choice all the time is that a marriage would survive and be redeemed. The divorce, the marital unfaithfulness, it has to come to an end. There has to be a place where we draw the line and it stops. And maybe you come from a family where, where we're simply choosing divorce as an instant solution to any marriage problem. Then stop that trend in your family. Let your home, let your generation be the generation where that line of divorce stops in your house. Let it end with your home and reverse the course. And if anything, do it for your kids or do it for the church. You know, do it for God. You know, I was talking with a marriage counselor just a few weeks ago. Now, don't get nervous. I was just interviewing him. He's going to be here with us in a few weeks as a part of this series. And we're going to talk with him about some of the things that he's seeing seen in marriages. But here's what I loved what he said. He said that one of the greatest evangelistic tools available to the church today is marriages, healthy marriages. Here's what he said. If we could get this right, the people of the world would look to followers of Jesus Christ and ask, how is it? How is it that your marriage is so good? The third thing is to compare your spouse to Christ. 
You know, it's unfair and unrealistic to, to, to compare your spouse to anyone else. And if you've done this, you're just comparing reality with fantasy. If someone else has caught your eye and you see them always putting their best foot forward with you all the time, you know, they always look so nice. Know this, they put their pants on the same way. They get sick and vomit and throw up. They get warts and zits. You know, they're not your spouse. But your spouse is a gift from God. Your spouse is a gift from God, and maybe you know you got married too soon, and and maybe you shouldn't have lived together before you were married, but your spouse is a gift from God, and there is no changing this. And we are commanded to love our spouse as Christ loved the church. Ephesians chapter 5, verses 24 to 25. I mean, God lays out a goal for us that, that almost appears to be unachievable. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. That's just what it says. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Love as Jesus loved. I mean, Jesus was very clear in his mission. He came to die for you and me, and we are commanded to love our spouse as Christ has loved us. And the last thing that I want to give you just as we start this morning is to connect with your spouse regularly. Now, a healthy marriage involves a variety of essential ingredients. I mean, how do you have a love affair with your spouse? Well, I think it's healthy conversation. You know, guys, make time to talk to your wife. And don't just talk, but listen. And chances are that you did it all the time when you were dating. Do it again. Set aside every day to talk and listen. Seek emotional connection with them. I mean, your wives need this and you do too. And I don't care if you don't share your feelings well. Go see a doctor if you need to and get well and give that gift to your family, give that gift to your spouse. Quit making excuses. Be a man. Get over it. Get some help. You owe it to your family and to your wife. But another essential ingredient is the physical connection. I mean, this is the intimacy And wives, I want to say this and I want to say it appropriately and I'm only going to say it because my wife gave me permission to. We all have physical needs. There's nothing wrong with your husband. Well, maybe. God made him this way. He is your gift. He's got some physical needs and remember this. You can meet that need in his life or someone else will. Let it be you. It's God's gift to our marriages. I mean, you can meet that need or someone else will. And and I know that there are a number of dynamics that go into getting intimacy right. But God created it. It was his gift to a marriage. It's for husbands and wives. And we can't neglect it. We can't neglect it. Well, that's enough for this morning. And uh, it's a lot to process. And, and I, hopefully a, a good beginning. I want to invite you to keep coming back. It's going to be a great series. Next week, we're going to talk specifically about fa- affairs and temptation and setting boundaries in life. And in two weeks, we're going to talk about marriage as a covenant. You know, not a contract, but a covenant, a promise with God in the middle of it all. Uh, we're also going to interview a couple that particular week that almost called it quits on their honeymoon. But they stayed together, and God has worked in their marriage, and they have a thriving marriage today. In three weeks, we're going to talk about God's grace. We're going to talk about God's forgiveness and how it's great enough to to permeate any situation in any marriage and allow God's love to 
to flow through. And then finally, the last week, we're going to interview a marriage counselor right here on this stage, and we're just going to ask him some real practical questions that maybe we've been wanting to ask or that he's seeing as he talks with other couples. But let's end with this. I just want to share with you a quick story. Uh, Did you hear about this father uh, who rescued his family in midair uh, shortly after takeoff, just in the last week. I don't know if you saw this or not. I, I saw it on CNN. But Doug White, his wife, and two daughters were flying back from a funeral in Florida to their home in Mississippi. And it was a private plane with, with its own pilot. And shortly after takeoff, the father, Doug, looked into the cockpit and noticed that the pilot's head was, 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 just, was just slouching. It was just hanging there, and he wasn't responding. And so the father jumped into the cockpit and found that the pilot was dead. This is a true story. There's no joke. There's no you know, funny ending to this. Well, it's a good ending. But at 5,000 feet, the only thing that was keeping the plane in the sky was the autopilot mode. And, and with his wife trembling and his two daughters crying in the back, this father radioed air traffic control. And, and while he had some flying experience, he had no experience flying such a, a, a big plane. And although frightened... He wasn't willing to give up. He wasn't willing to believe that there couldn't be a good ending to all this. And so this team of people walked him through on the radio every little step. And at one point, a controller asked whether the autopilot was still engaged or not. And and here's how he replied. He said, "Um, me and the good Lord are hand flying this. He replied, no autopilot. And with some careful help and instruction and definitely divine intervention, the father was able to turn the aircraft around and land the plane safely and save his family. I don't know where your marriage is right now. I don't know your story. I don't know the guilt that you might be feeling right now. But everything can be made right again. You can have a healthy and thriving marriage and maybe you're beginning to experience some light turbulence You know, maybe your marriage is running on autopilot and you're not too far from crashing and burning. Get up and take the controls and let's take your marriage back and let's help you get through this. Let me pray. God, it's such a a difficult subject, but I think such an important subject for us as, as a church. And God, I just want to pray for my friends right now who are going uh, through one of the most difficult times in their life. God, we know that in your love, through your grace, and by your mercy, and by your strength, that you can put back the pieces of a crumbled or a crumbling marriage. God, would you give us that hope? God, would you show us that there might be a way And I just pray, you know, even, you know, for those that might be sitting here today thinking that things are going okay, that we just be reminded that we can't just throw our our marriages onto autopilot and expect them to survive. God, would you help us to be intentional about loving our husbands and loving our wives? And would you be in the middle of it all? And would you show us the way? In Jesus' name, amen.